0: Hello, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, the weekly podcast and email newsletter, you can get it in either form, that seeks to apply the truth of Christ crucified that we find in the scriptures to every aspect and facet of our lives as his people. And in today's episode, something completely different, as Monty Python used to say, the first, you might hope, will be a regular series of features in which I talk to good friends of mine about good books. Today's episode features John Woodhouse, former principal of Moore College, former rector of Christchurch St Ives, and well-known Bible teacher and author. His Old Testament commentaries are spectacular. And in this conversation, and in fact in each of the conversations I'm hoping to have in the coming months, I'm going to leave it up to my friends to determine the book that they'd like to read and discuss. And then we're going to have a free-ranging conversation about it. And so this episode, like all these book chat episodes, will be a little longer than normal. Uh, this is about a 35 or 40-minute conversation with John Woodhouse. But I hope you find it as stimulating and valuable as I did in talking with John and that the book that he's chosen will be as stimulating and interesting for you as it was for me in reading it. And I hope it's a book that you'll track down and work your way through. The book is Dominion by Tom Holland, subtitled "The Making of the Western Mind." It's an unusual book for us to choose in one sense, and it's not a Christian book. It's not written by a Christian. In fact, Tom Holland is quite clear about the fact that he's not a believer. It's an historical book. It's a history really, of Western civilization, of the civilization we live in, and in particular, how the mind of our civilization was created, really by Christianity. And that most things that we value and think in today's contemporary society, even in secular contemporary society, most of these things owe their existence and their shape to nothing else than Christianity. So John, great to talk to you today about Dominion by Tom Holland. And thank you for suggesting this is a book for us to chat about because I certainly found it not only a bit of a a long read, like there's a lot in there, like I struggled to get through it all in time for this conversation, but an enormously stimulating book. And I can see why you might have suggested we talk about it. What did you find important about it as a book? Why did you suggest we talk about
1: it? uh, Well, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, It's one of those books you read, and uh, those of us who read books – Some have a big impact and some don't, um, but this one uh, has had a big impact on me. I think it's because of the time in which it's come out. It's appeared at a time when we as Christians face uh, serious challenges from our culture. They're not brand new challenges, of course, but they've come in new forms. Uh, I think there's a a twin challenge at the moment. Um, On the one hand, that Christianity is really one of many religions uh, and secondly, that religion, anyway, uh, including Christianity, has been bad on the whole. Uh, that, that, that's a message, of course, we've been pummeled with again and again.
0: God is not great. Religion God is not po- great. Yes. Religion poisons everything. Yes, exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah.
1: And then it seems to me as I chat with Christians, and I think particularly young people, but it, but uh, the things we see in young people, we see in the rest of us too, to, to, to some degree or another. Uh, a general confusion about how we relate to the world around us, which has so many good things in it, that and I don't mean good in just any general sense, but good things that we Christians want to be in on. Uh, we want to be in on any movement that's got to do with reducing violence against anyone. We want to be in on any movement. We, we want to approve of any movement that, that works for the equality of human beings and so on. And so, and there is so much of that in our society at the moment, so many movements like that that we're attracted to at one level and then as we're attracted to them we find that these movements are themselves seriously antagonistic to the Christian faith and we find ourselves in a world that attracts us and itself tries to repel us and I think there's a, there's a deep confusion. What are we to make of, of those sort of things? And I found this book and perhaps we can return to this a bit later on, but I found that this book has been seriously illuminating uh, to all those sort of things. Well, let's
0: dig into what this book is then, what it's saying. Who, who's Tom Holland, first of all? What do you, we know about
1: him as an author? What do you know about him as an well, author? Well, um, as so many people these days, I've got to know him online, uh, YouTube and all that kind of thing. Uh, he's a very interesting character. He's certainly not a believing Christian, but... Uh, he calls himself Christian culturally uh, quite often. He, he says, I, you know, I suddenly realised I'm a Christian. Uh, but he doesn't mean by that a believing Christian. Uh, he's certainly not that. But his story is interesting. He was introduced to the Bible. Uh, there's a lovely um, account of his godmother's love for him. And his godmother was a Christian lady uh, who cared for him and provided him with his first children's Bible and so on. Um, and so he was introduced to the Bible and its stories uh, he says that, uh, to his surprise, he was, he was most fascinated by all the baddies in the Bible. So he was fascinated by the Romans and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and so on. And as he grew up, he uh, got an interest in history. He became uh, really quite a, a very accomplished historian. He's written major works on the Romans and on the Persians and, uh, and others. And uh, by his own account, he said he suddenly realized at one point That these ancient cultures fascinated him, but he didn't love them. He was intrigued by them and loved writing about them and researching, but he didn't love them. And realized that what he loved about human life and human culture was the world he was in. He was, you know, his his modern Western world. And he said, Well, where did all that come from? Where did what I love come from? I love a culture where human rights matter. I love a culture where people are treated equally before the law. I love a culture where there is a separation between church and state. I love a culture where uh, there is a concern to suppress uh, superstition. Those are some of the things that he highlights. And he said, where did all those things come from? And so he put in years. He says that the, the book is a product of 15 years' research and study And this book, Dominion, has appeared. And uh, you look at the cover, you'd never guess what's inside, really. Uh, It's called Dominion, and the subtitle is The Making of the Western Mind. But once you start reading of it, it's actually a history of Christianity and its profound impact on the Western mind. Uh, And he says at one point, I've got a little quote here, uh, he describes Christianity as the most influential framework for making sense of human existence that has ever existed. And that's quite a statement. Listen to that again. The most influential framework for making sense of human existence that has ever existed. And his argument, uh, as a historian, it's a historical argument, uh, is that Christianity has touched almost everything that we value in the Western world uh if there's anything you any any reason that you love living in your australian society uh if it's australia you're living in uh he would say it's very he he would argue that it's very very likely that you you owe that to the influence of christianity
0: he does this by really tracing the whole story he starts with athens with ancient greece with the, with the norms and nature of ancient greece he goes then to the Old Testament, he tells the story of the Old Testament as an historian, likewise of Jesus and of Paul, uh, and as a Christian reading those sections, and we're reading and discussing this as Christians, it's not a, an interpretation or explication of the Bible as such, is it? It's a telling of the story and the development of the ideas, and in particular how the idea of a crucified God became a central idea that then changed Western culture.
1: Yes, yes, yes. He's not giving us an interpretation of the Bible. He, I mean, obviously, he's giving us an interpretation, but it's an interpretation of what he has found, what he has concluded is the impact that the Bible has had on the world. Now, we, um, of course, as Christian people, are much more interested in another story that Tom Holland doesn't really tell—that how the Bible has built. Uh, the kingdom of God. How the Bible has built um, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the the Bible has drawn people into the kingdom of God. Uh, that's not his story. Um, uh, but he's. It, it's sort of. Um, I, I sort of think of it. If that's true, if what Christ, Christians believe is and, and are on about is true. You wouldn't be surprised, would you, if God has spoken into this world, if God has intervened into this world in the way in which he has in the Lord Jesus, if he's given us his word in the Bible, you wouldn't be surprised, would you, if that had ripple effects beyond its main purpose. And that's what I think this book is about. It's a historian who's, I mean, I'm really quite impressed with his integrity and his sort of openness and honesty and so on. Uh, A historian who has uh, looked at the evidence and discovered these ripple effects. And the ripple effects turn out to be quite massive, actually. Not nearly as massive as the core purpose of the Bible, with its eternal consequences, but a big effect on the history of the world. And uh, that that's, it really is quite fascinating, particularly in a world where we're getting this message, religion is bad, and in particular Christianity has done so much damage and only damage. Not true, says Tom Holland.
0: In fact, he says that our very concept of religion and mm. what a religion is,
1: yes, is Christian. Yes. And derives ultimately, I think he would say, from a statement like, uh, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Uh, with a biblical understanding of creation, you can actually make that separation. Uh, which is a distinctively biblical separation. A biblical religion can make that separation. Christianity, in particular, um, uh, can make that separation in a way which, for example, Islam can't. I'm very sorry about that. My phone has just rung, and I'll just turn it off. I forgot to do that.
0: Yep. I was playing golf the other day, and I did the same thing. Top of the backswing and the... um the phone went off, and I felt some very unkind thoughts to the person who'd called me at that moment because I hooked it viciously into the trees. As a result, but um, it was in fact my my mistake for uh, leaving my phone turned on on the golf course. Which yes, is a my, big my mistake
1: car. here. Now I've completely lost my train of thought, but that doesn't matter. We'll get it back.
0: <laughs> the ripple effects, and we're talking about religion. How religion, mm. the idea of religion, and the fact that religion might you might think of a religion as a set of beliefs and practices, a discrete set of beliefs and practices. That a person may hold to and practice in their lives, but is separable in theory from their citizenship or their membership of this country or this nation or this ethnic group. That you might have a religious part of you, I'm Christian, and a, a, a community or, or national part of me, I'm Australian or I'm Chinese or I have some, so other, that you might be able to separate those two things in your mind as separate, separable things. He says, drawing on Augustine, for example, and and the idea of of the seculum, there is a there is a mm. this worldly city of man, and there is the city of God that is eternal. That those whole ideas that those two things are separable in theory is a profoundly Christian insight yes. that's flowed on into the whole Western view of what is secular and what
1: is yes. religion. Yes, absolutely.
0: Um, and I was fascinated to read his account in that respect of how. There was really no such thing as Hinduism Mm -hmm. until British Christians came along and decided they needed to understand what these Indians were doing in terms of a religion called Hinduism. That's right, yes. And similarly, Judaism never existed until Christians came along and tried to say, how can we have Jews living in our midst and not kill them and persecute them? How can we tolerate them and let them be Jews? We'll create. We'll think of them as having this religion called Judaism, yes. which is not at all, of course, how many of the Jews thought of themselves as. Yeah, or the Hindus, for that matter. Yep, yeah.
1: and it's very interesting how that has borne fruit in uh, Western attitudes to Islam and Muslims. So we have a group of people in our midst uh, who we we want to respect and we want to allow them to have their religion. But whether Islam would ever historically have thought of itself as like that. Is, uh, Tom Holland would question. I th-
0: and with good reason. Certainly my yes. own research into Islam would say that that's an entirely Christian way of thinking about Islam. Exactly. That a, that a, Mus- that a, a devout historical... Most Muslims, devoutly and historically, would not think of themselves that way. No. As having a religion that was in some way separate from their civic identity yes. or from the state or yes. from how they should do everything. Yep. Uh, and so he points out that this whole idea of secularism and secularity makes zero sense without its contrast to the city of God, to the other part of life, to the eternal nature of life and of human existence. Yes. And that in itself is profoundly Christian.
1: Is it, my own thinking about um, Tom Holland's thesis is that I would want to take it a little bit further. So things like that, the, the notion of religion and the, um, you know, the, the, the generally accepted notion in, in our secular, so-called secular world... Uh, that uh, we, we respect, uh, we talk about uh, religious freedom as a human right and all, the, all those sort of ideas. He points out, and I think persuasively, that, that these, these ideas have been given to us because of Christianity. But what he doesn't try to explore, I don't think very much at all, is how are they distorted when you, when you take away what I like to call the God bit. So when you, ta- when you take, about, take away the reason that has given you this uh, idea, uh, this rich idea, this very, very healthy idea, it seems to most of us. Uh, but what, what happens to it when you take away its basis? And I think, it, I think all of these ideas then get profoundly distorted. Um, and I haven't been able to think through all of them, and I haven't thought through this one through carefully, but uh, I do think that the way in which we Christians find ourselves now in tension with a secular state has got large. Has got a lot to do with what happens to that idea uh, when it's embraced by the secular state, but they want to get rid of the basis that gave it to them.
0: I thought about this a little bit as I was reading mm-hmm. too, and I noticed one of the things I noticed was that some of the things that Holland identifies—he is, as you say, he writes with a great deal of straightforward honesty—and and. and um, doesn't try and hide the warts and all. It's by no means a glowing history oh, of Christianity. No. He certainly tells the sad and sorry and, and dreadful tales of what Christians have done. And especially as he describes some of the kind of what we would, we would see and I think biblically would see as fairly gross examples of Christian behavior. For example, the, the urgent desire of some popes, say Pope Gregory the Seventh, that he, he tells that story in some detail, to, to purify the church... To unite all of humanity under the one church, to to cleanse the church of sinners and heretics, um, to subjugate the whole population to the gospel by coercion and and by the by incorporating state power to the extent where where uh, the church and its armies march on march on the Albigensians and slaughter them. Um, these are not people. These are these are not Muslims. You know these are, these are people who are. Rebellious, difficult Christians who are not towing the church line, and there's a slaughter of them. Um, you, you read that as a Christian, and you you see Holland's how he links that back to the desire for purity, for blessing, for uh, for the kingdom. But we would look at it as a heresy. We would say that that's a that's a shockingly and tragically over-realized eschatology that's trying to create the kingdom now by enforcing its. Uh, its character at the point of the sword, um, we look at that and say, we can see how that comes out of Christian ideas, but we would say that the, that the Pope that did that or the Christian movement that does that has lost touch with something profoundly important in the Bible and the Gospel itself. It's, it's, a, it's a dysfunctional and faulty understanding of the biblical idea. I wondered whether in some ways that's partly the answer to your question, that what happens when when a Pope Gregory embarks on a on a bloodthirsty crusade to purify the church and that the awful excesses of that result is not so different in theory from when Mm-mm. a contemporary movement for example from when the french revolution and um mm. and Holland points out this parallel, the French Revolution is almost the mirror image of of urbans. Uh, not Urbans, Gregory's crusade, um, it's just as bloodthirsty, just as determined to unite all of humanity under one head, uh, brotherhood, um, godliness, virtue, uh, throw down the powerful, get rid of the the corruption and the excesses of the rich, all the same themes except done in a a fiercely anti-Christian context, but all the same ideas and all the same excesses of blood uh, that come as a result. It struck me that it's the Pope that has lost touch with the biblical truth is similar in some ways to the French Revolution that's abandoned it entirely. Yes. I wonder if that's part of the answer to your question, that we see in the excesses and mistakes of Christian history what happens when you lose touch with the truth of Christian revelation. You have some of its shape, you have some of its goals, you have some of its elements, but you no longer understand how they work
1: yes and uh, to distort something powerful is to can can produce some very powerful evil mm. you know my 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 silly preacher's analogy is nuclear power you know you, you, nuclear power can be used for so much good if only we could if only we had a human race that was trustworthy and wise and never corrupt how much could be done with nuclear power uh, however you put it in the hands of somebody you know, it, it, it's so powerful for good and so powerful for bad. Well, I, I, I think that the ideas that the scriptures have given us um, are powerful in all sorts of ways for good, but you distort them and they're, 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 they're powerful as well for bad, for evil, If once we distort them, very powerful.
0: I think you could say the same thing about Marxism and communism in this exactly. respect, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, he points out very strongly how Marx, for all his protests that... Um, his theory was grounded in fact and science, the science of economic history, and that by crunching the numbers and working everything out in detail, he had figured out what was inevitably about to happen in human economic history, because it operated according to these laws that he would discerned. That in fact, Marx was full of moral uh, passion and, and moral certitude for the goodness of his of his quest and the importance of raising up every man and overthrowing the oppressors, and it's that it was a profoundly Christian set of values that yes. animated him. Yes, uh, even even at the, uh, even while he abandoned it, and in the distortion of that and and what and eventually came of Marx's theories, you have not a utopia being built on earth, but the Soviet Union. Yeah, hell <laughs> yeah. on earth. Uh, even um, even the idea that the communist uh, or the socialist or communist catch cry, um, to everyone, to each according to their need, from each according to their ability. Yes. He points out just how profoundly Acts of the Apostles that is. Yes. Um, Selling his possession and sharing to each one as he has need, and that this is not a Greek or a Persian or a Roman or a Chinese idea or any other sort of, it's a profoundly Christian idea. Yes. And yet, as Marxism develops, it it takes on this murderous characteristic. Absolutely right.
1: Perhaps it's worth... Elaborating on this thesis a little bit, Um, uh, it's particularly striking because uh, he's aware of and and refers to and we're all aware of uh, the message that uh, the Richard Dawkins and the Christopher Hitchens and the Sam Harrises and the AC Graylings have been giving us for decades now uh, of the evil that religion is and how the world will be better off when we get rid of it altogether uh, and here is a historian who's saying that's not right. I actually listened to, listened to Tom Holland. Uh, you can find this on YouTube in a debate with A. C. Grayling about these things, and it was quite devastating, really, where he he really did just demonstrate that Grayling, who was so committed to Christianity being bad and Christianity being a bad influence, he just would not acknowledge historical facts to the contrary. Um, Holland's thesis is that the distinctive values of Western thinking have come from the influence of Christianity. And uh, let me give you what I, th- I thought was the most striking example of that, where uh, he asked the question, where did the idea come from? In, where do, how was it that the human race ever, ever came up with this idea, that it's more noble to suffer than to inflict suffering? You think about that idea. It's more, more noble to suffer than to inflict suffering. And almost all of us uh, in this part of the world would say, yeah, I, that, of course that's right. The bully, you, know, you, you never approve of the bully. And, so, and he said that that, that idea was... You'd never, you won't find that idea anywhere in the ancient world. And indeed, he would argue you won't find that idea anywhere in the world that has been untouched by the Christian message. He said it's the crucifixion of Jesus and the message of the crucifixion of Jesus that went out to the world via the Apostle Paul that gave the world that idea. Now, that, that's fairly stunning, really. And and he, he says the same of a whole lot of ideas. You know, where did the idea come from that human beings are equal? Because they're obviously not. It's absolutely obvious that human beings are not equal in any respect you like to mention. Um, Size, strength, intelligence, pers- Obviously, human beings are not equal. Well, where did the idea come from? It only came from the biblical message that, that human beings are made in the image of God and that Jesus died on the cross for all people indiscriminately and, and, that, that, and so on.
0: And that there's no Jew or Greek the slave no, uh, or
1: free or male it, or female. That, exactly the, right.
0: that there's a unification that happens in the gospel for all of humanity that treats everybody as being of equal value as equally
1: sinful and equally valuable yeah that's a unique idea and i think he's freed me he helped me to to be liberated from the idea that the enlightenment was so important (laughs) because um and again i i I think this is my deduction from reading holland rather than holland's direct statement but the 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 enlightenment was really an attempt to hold on to what christianity had given us while abandoning christianity so we want to hold on to this wonderful idea of all human beings being equally valuable and ought to be treated equally before the law, that, that wonderful idea. Well, the Bible gave it to us. Let's see if we can hold on to it and come up with an idea of human rights and claim that it's self-evident uh, and claim that it's, it, it's universal and it's natural, it's built into nature. It's not, you know, Holland would argue, and it's not self-evident. It never has been self-evident. Um, but these
0: truths are not self-evident. <laughs> these, <laughs> these truths are not, are not self-evident. Evident.
1: They're true, but they're not self-evident. And uh, it is the Bible that that has given those to us. And uh, the idea that, that that we are in pre- that the Enlightenment is so wonderful that if, that human reason alone um, gets us to these things. No, it doesn't. And I think uh, h- here I am uh, extending the argument somewhat, but. Uh, But I think that's what we're seeing in the world at the moment. I think the Enlightenment project is now at last crumbling and people are seeing that reason alone will not get us there. And so there are people who are still holding on to some of these ideas like equality. Well, how are we going to get equality for everyone? The only way we're going to do it is by power. We're going to demonstrate. We're going to march. We're going to to shut down people who disagree with us. And so no longer is the Enlightenment Project where human reason would get us to a good end. We've given up on that. Oh, sorry, large numbers of people have given up on that. Um, and I think that's because the Enlightenment Project won't work. You can't hold on to these values. They don't make sense. They don't, they're don't—they're not they not self-evident once you abandon the God bit.
0: I think that's very powerful, John. He kind of acknowledges that towards the end in, a, in the wistful sort of way that these kinds of books often do conclude. In uh, in wondering aloud, what will happen to the West yes. if if these foundational truths are ab- if if they're not if they're repudiated and if we're we lose touch with that which gave them to us? Um, there's a a paragraph in his conclusion. Um, he says, "Today, as the flood tide of Western power and influence ebbs." The illusions of European and American liberals risk being left stranded. He says, much that they have sought to cast as universal now stands exposed as never having been anything of the kind. Secularism owes its existence to the medieval papacy. Humanism derives ultimately from claims made in the Bible, that humans are made in God's image, that his son died equally for everyone, that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Repeatedly, like a great earthquake, Christian Christianity has sent reverberations across the world and the re- various revolutions, he then goes on to say, that have, have risen up at different points in history all have similar ambitions. The aspiration to enfold within their embrace, he says, every other possible way of seeing the world, the claim to a universalism, that human beings have rights, that they are born equal, that they are owed sustenance and shelter and refuge. These were never self-evident truths, he says. Uh, and what will then happen, he goes on to say, If secular humanism derives not from reason or from science, I'm quoting again, but from the distinctive course of Christianity's evolution, a course that in the opinion of growing numbers in Europe and and America has left God dead, then how are its values anything more than the shadow of a corpse? What are the foundations of its morality if not a myth? And then he says, a myth, though, is not a lie. And i I suspect he doesn't he doesn't expand on this because he writes as an historian he not a, as a philosopher. I suspect he may be that kind of modern secularist, Christianized secularist, and I've heard a number of writers say this who who feel that Christianity, if it's not true, would need to be invented, that we we need to hold on to the mythical truths of Christianity, even though of course we know it's all a load of nonsense. Yeah. but how can you if it's a load of nonsense?
1: I've been trying to dig around to work out why Tom Holland isn't a believer, you know, um, and there are all sorts of levels at which you could you could pursue that question, but um, um, I, I, I think that's exactly uh, where he leaves us. He himself argues. I don't think this is in the book, uh, but I've heard him argue that uh, what he's saying is that just as Christianity was the instrument that gave the world what was good in Judaism. So I think his word is humanism. Humanism will now give to the world what was good in Christianity. And he's... he's I think he's just hope, hoping against hope that humanism can stand. But it is failing, and it's
0: interesting how you put it. The idea that we're all one and that we all work together um, that there aren't tribes that divide us, but that we work together as equals to work together for the good, etc. That's palpably breaking
1: down in um, contemporary. What world are you living in if you think that? Yeah. What, what What country are you in if you if you think you can see that anywhere? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And tri- tribalism, in many ways, is on the rise, not on the decline. And contemporary identity politics is an expression of this that we. We give up on the idea of of in in many ways of the kind of sixties Martin Luther King. we can just judge everyone on the basis of their character, not their skin. We now say, no, your skin is vitally important, and you can't escape it, and you have to be identified as your skin, and you have to assert and gather with your together with your skin and defeat the oppressors um, yep. and it's a It's a different way of conceiving of it in a sense it is a breaking down of that consensus of the yes. huge consensus
1: you you abandon the God bit, forgive me for putting it in that way, but um, you yep. abandon the God bit and you cannot have the unity of the human race. And where would it lie? Yeah, the the Christian sees all human beings as equal before God, equally created by God, equally loved by God. Uh, and when, when our equality stands in something as, as great as that, the equally made in the image of God, um, that equality is profound and can then be translated into all sorts of possibilities. But what you take away that, where would you find the equality? And, and what we are experiencing is uh, the so-called identity politics that uh, we, we break up into our identities and we identify with the group that we choose to identify with, um, uh, pulling out something about us that we have in common with others in our group, and that's what we... Rather and that's what we fight human. for.
0: Yeah, yep. we then fight for the, the ascendancy of our group.
1: Yeah, and uh, we we move into a terrible tribalism, which is where we are.
0: I found it quite insightful too that Holland, as he expounds the dark side of Christian history, quite, um, quite uh, sort of straightforwardly and without mm-hmm. um, any attempt at varnishing that, um, he points out that Where Christianity has had excesses or has failed to live up to its core teachings, it's been its own teachings that have critiqued that. Yes. And so when Christian conquerors come into a country and take it over and and brutalize its inhabitants, it's the Christians within the Christian conquering force that say this cannot be. Yes. Um, the indigenous people must be treated with dignity. They're humans like us. They're not savages. And in fact, it's evolutionary theory, a completely different worldview, that says they're the weak and they can afford to be exterminated because we're the strong. Yep. Uh, I find that quite striking that, that there's this cycle of excess and critique and repentance, as it were, um, as, as Christianity and Christian ideas make their way in the world.
1: Yeah, what he's helped me see, um, again, with a, with a fresh clarity, I think, is that Christianity gives us a capacity to critique things um, that, that, that we all benefit from. So Darwin's theory, uh, were you to embrace it and, uh, and live by it and understand the world in, in, in the light of Darwin's theory, there is no way that you can avoid racism. If, if we've, we've all descended and we've gone down different paths in, in our descent from a common ancestor or whatever it is, uh, the different paths, they, they cannot all have developed equally at the same pace. Darwin's theory necessarily leads to racism unless you actually believe there's a God and all human beings are made in his image. So it's, it's Christian thinking, explicitly or implicitly, that has allowed people to believe Darwin's theory and not be racists.
0: Not that all Darwin's descendants avoided that. So of course not. Many- no, that's
1: exactly he points out. Uh, it was Himmler. I think it's Himmler that he quotes um, Adolf's mate, Himmler, who, who, who saw the consequences. You, you abandon God, you believe Darwin, and then there are superior and inferior human beings and the inferior human beings do not deserve to continue to live. And so we deal with that.
0: And what is that except the triumph of the, the better adapted to the less well adapted, the, the more powerful uh, the, to the, the survival the, of the fittest?
1: The uh, uh, survival of the fittest.
0: Let's come to the challenges and implications for today. What, coming back to that question you raised at the beginning, how do you think this really helps us today and helps us deal with these challenges? Well, I found
1: it massively clarifying. Uh, let me go back to what I said at the beginning. The the, the, the twin challenges of our culture at the moment uh, to Christian believers are the idea in, in our multicultural world that here is Christianity, one among many religions. And you read Tom Holland's book and its vast historical sweep and survey that it gives us and you say, there is no religion that has done what Christianity has done for the world, for the world. Christianity for all its mess-ups and mistakes and missteps and all that kind of thing. But what Christianity has done for the world, no religion has done that. And most people that we know would say it has been so good, how good it is to live in a world that does not approve, generally speaking, of racism, that does not approve of bullying, that does not approve of cruelty, that and so on and so on. It is just simply... Contrary, not only to our theology and the teaching of the Bible, that's clear enough, but it's interesting when that truth, that powerful truth, is confirmed by the historical observation that the message that claims to speak of the one true God, that message has, as you might expect it would if it was true, has had effects on the world that no other belief has had for good. So that's that's one thing. And the second um, idea that is challenging to us is that religion is bad. Well, religious people have been bad from time to time, no question about that, and Tom Holland's book will give you plenty of illustrations like that that you've never heard of. But it is simply not true that Christianity has been bad for the world. Not if you believe that it's quite good that we believe in human rights.
0: It's fascinating how he takes the human rights back to... Uh, the time of the Middle Ages and shows that it wasn't by any means the invention of the Enlightenment. Absolutely uh, and not. And that it was it was centuries before. And
1: certainly wasn't the Greeks. No, yeah, that, that's
0: mean. a very compelling part of his argument. Yes. The whole whole architecture of what it means to give each person what is due to them because all are created in the image of God, uh, that, that not only does it only go back to the Christian idea, but it was explicitly developed, and you can trace yes. the historical development of it, especially in, among medieval lawyers and the growth of canon law and the nature of the law.
1: Correct. Time. And then the, the the other thing that concerns me at the moment, I think there is such a confusion among, um, as I said at the beginning, um, uh, among young Christians, but it's not just young Christians, who feel somehow, you see, the, the, the challenge at the moment is not uh, that lots of people don't believe that Christianity is true, it's that lots of people think that Christianity is bad. And... The good things are the um, the movements, the Me Too movement, the BLM movement, whatever it might be. That's where people of uh, goodness will be found. And uh, it's very easy to be terribly confused. Um, uh, are Christians going to stand against those movements? Are they going to join into those movements without quality? Where do Christians stand in the, in the world in which we live? and i think that tom holland has helped me to see that at the moment in the world in which we are we're living in a world it's it's quite strange and it's it's worth putting some effort into understanding it but we are living in a world that has been profoundly influenced by christianity and therefore there's a whole lot that we love and that we really want to embrace and that we really want to encourage people to see we want people to be encouraged to see the, you know, the, the profound equality of human beings and so on, the, the various things we've been talking about. But we are also living in a world where all of those ideas have been corrupted. And so, no, I can't join in a BLM march myself. I'm not judging whether anybody else should or shouldn't, but not because I don't believe that black lives matter, but because I don't believe everything else that, is, that has been attached to that idea as God is rejected. Um, i can't without without qualification join in the me Too movement and, and and endorse the me Too movement again not because i don't believe the you know those fundamental frontline um issues are unimportant but i i can't go along with the with, with what has happened to those ideas um when god is rejected and when 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 where all of these ideas have been corrupted And it's an interesting exercise. We can't do it now. Um, I can't do it now anyway. But I think it would be interesting to think through those things and think through um, human rights, human equality, uh, freedom, um, go on to all all of the values that we think are are really important and, and they are important that actually Christianity has given us. And then to try and analyse what has happened to them and why has it happened when you abandon God and just think that and take on these ideas as freestanding ideas that have just sort of come to you from nowhere. Uh, And I think that you can begin to understand uh, a lot of the corruption in in, in our world at the moment and uh, a lot of the uh, tensions and difficulties that our world seems to be in.
0: Perhaps I'll conclude at that point, John, by just reading this little passage uh, from the final chapter Mm -hmm. of Dominion. He says that a myth, even a myth like Christianity, can be true, a true myth. And he quotes Tolkien at this point. Mm -hmm. That to be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. And this is why the cross, that ancient implement of torture, remains what it has always been the most fitting symbol of the Christian revolution. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe, that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which it gave birth. Today, the power of this strangeness remains as alive as it has ever been. It is manifest in the great surge of conversions that has swept Africa and Asia over the past century, in the conviction of millions upon millions that the breath of the Spirit, like a living fire, still blows upon the world, and in Europe and North America, in the assumptions of many more millions who would never think to describe of themselves as Christians. All are heirs to the same revolution, a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of a God dead on a cross. Well, thanks for being with me for this conversation I had with John Woodhouse about Dominion, the making of the Western mind, a book by Tom Holland, published by Little Brown in 2019. There were a number of issues that we didn't get to. It's a big book with lots of ideas, And there are a number of implications we didn't get to as well in terms of what it means for Christian apologetics or evangelism. That's an interesting question that's perhaps worth dwelling on at some future point. But that's probably enough for this episode, I think. Thanks so much for being with me again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.